Well, good afternoon, Second City. Glad to be back with you as a church worshiping this Sunday. And a special welcome to you if you're visiting or joining online for the first time. Uh, we're very glad that you've joined. And if you are dropping in for the first time um, this afternoon, then just to, to catch you up to speed for a moment, we've been working our way through a sermon series titled The Upside Down Kingdom. And we've been uh, camped out in Matthew's gospel, specifically in chapter 5, in a place known as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this, this portion of Scripture is, has been just massively written about over the centuries. It's an incredibly important place in the Bible where theologians and pastors alike have spent a lot of time uh, wrestling with what Jesus is preaching about here in this portion of God's Word. And as I was uh, trying to do some research and looking into commentaries, it was almost overwhelming. You could almost drown in the amount of literature that's been taken down. And so if I was going to give just a, a couple highlights to set the stage for us, just to, to paint a clear picture of uh, what's going on right now and what are we looking at, here are just a few things I would say. Uh, the first would be that it's interesting that Matthew's gospel uh, breaks a silence from God that had lasted for about 400 years. So from the end of the Old Testament until where we pick up in Matthew's gospel, there's a long silence, 400 years of silence. Um, but now God is speaking again. But not only that, uh, this uh, portion of Scripture here in chapter 5 is the longest recorded discourse uh, that we have Jesus giving, which is significant. Uh, 16th century English theologian William Perkins said that, that this Sermon on the Mount is one of the keys to unlock the entirety of the Scriptures. And modern-day scholars, even today, uh, note how intensely practical this passage is for us. So it matters today. It matters for us right now uh, what Jesus is saying. And so as we come to, uh, to this beatitude... We see in a few verses leading up to this that Jesus is sitting down upon a mountainside and he's surrounded by people. He's surrounded by followers, he's surrounded by some of his disciples, and he's surrounded by skeptics as well. And he begins to teach. And so we are going to look at just one verse today. We've come to uh, chapter 5, verse 6. And this is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst... For righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, what I'd like to do this afternoon is just try to draw out three things that I think uh, shine forth from this one simple verse. And, and they're the following. So the three things are number one, a travel guide, number two, a paradox, and number three, your happiness at stake. And because we're really just looking at this one verse, um, the sermon that I'm going to give today doesn't necessarily like build on itself. It's, it's more like a, like a fine jewel. And we're going to look at three different angles or three different points and see um, what God might say to us as we dive deeper uh, and more specifically into this one verse. So number one, the first thing we see here is a travel guide. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, uh, this word righteousness is absolutely critical for us to understand from the very beginning, because if we, if we get this wrong, 
uh, not only do we misunderstand this verse in particular, but we, understand, we, we could potentially misunderstand Christianity. And so in order to help us understand what type of righteousness Jesus is referring to, I want to share what I think is a very helpful um, and humiliating true story um, from my past. So uh, it was some years ago, my family, we were living in Southeast Asia, and we had just had our third child, and we needed to come back to America for an extended period of time. So this is a huge trip that we need to take. It's very long. It's about 30 hours worth of travel altogether. And to do that with three very young boys is a bit of a nightmare. And so my wife, uh, very wisely and lovingly, in advance of this trip, she knew I was about to get ready to plan this, and she said, uh, dear, can I give you some, uh, some advice or some guidance on how I think uh, this might go well for us? I said, sure. She said, when you book the flight, make sure you give us a short layover in Tokyo. Uh, let's make sure not to give the children any strange food or medicine that could upset their stomach on the way. And will you be in charge of packing an extra pair of clothes for the boys just in case an accident happens? I said, no problem. Uh, I got it. Well, um, brilliant me. Uh, as I went to look at the flights, uh, it was much cheaper to have a longer layover in Japan. So, of course, I, I booked a long layover. Um, and I also decided that it could be a good idea to experiment with some children's Benadryl because I heard that that helps kids sleep. And I thought, oh, wow, that'll be great. You know, they might sleep for a longer, a longer period of time. And in all the chaos, I just forgot to pack a spare change of clothes. This is a true story. And so we took off, and we headed from Manila to Tokyo, which is five hours. And then instead of having a one-hour layover, we had a four-hour layover. And it was rapidly becoming a nightmare. Thing Everybody was just grumpy and angry and this chaos. And so we have this really long layover before the 14-hour leg back to Atlanta, Georgia. And... Uh, there, part two of my great plan came in. I said, hey, let me, let me give the older boys some, some Benadryl, just a little bit, just to see if it'll help them sleep. Uh, well, they had adverse reactions to that Benadryl, and they ended up literally wrestling and crawling all over me for the first five hours of the 14-hour leg back home. And lastly, when they finally fell asleep, um, one of the boys, I, I reached down to sort of adjust him so he wouldn't fall off the seat. And as I, as I went to help him, my hand was wet, and I, I realized that uh, he had gone to the bathroom in the seat, and the whole Delta blanket was just soaked in urine. And so when I went to grab the change of clothes, they weren't there. And so we had to settle for a rain jacket for just his bare chest and then some of his younger brother's shorts, which were quite small for him. And I'll just never forget, the when we got back, um, I'll never forget the look my dad gave me. It was the look that you never want your father to give you. It was the look that says, you know, son, what are you doing with your life? Uh, the point being, uh, I had some pretty good guidance and advice from my wife that I disregarded, and it didn't turn out too well. But lastly, and, and this is one of the most important parts, is when we got back to Atlanta, after living abroad for many, many years, I showed up to the border security and I had five passports. And he said, I have your passports, please? I said, yes. I put the passports down. He looked at them all. And he said, Mr. Harris, welcome home. And we walked through the gates. And we were back home. Now, I tell you um, this story because it highlights a couple things. It highlights passports versus travel guides or advice. And this verse right here, 
uh, verse 6, when Jesus is talking about righteousness specifically, this is a travel guide, not a passport. This righteousness that he's speaking of here is not the kind of righteousness the Bible talks about in other places that can give you entrance into the kingdom of God. And the reason is that we could never be righteous enough to earn our way into heaven. We could never hunger and thirst enough um, to merit God's love. We need, we need another type of righteousness. Uh, we need uh, what's listed here in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20. And so read with me here uh, on this next slide, um, Romans chapter 3. It says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although in the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now that is a mouthful, but this this is the passport that we need. This is uh, what the scriptures talk about, you know, legal uh, justified status before God in order to enter into his kingdom. So what, what Paul's talking about here in Romans is kind of like sitting down in a chair. When you sit down in a chair, you put your full weight in that chair. If you trust that chair, you don't hang on to other things. You sit down entirely uh, by faith, trusting that that chair is going to support you entirely. And, and similarly, when we rest our all our hope uh, on Christ alone for our salvation, there is an event that takes place. When we believe on Christ and His finished, perfect work on the cross in our place, uh, the Bible says we are, we are justified. And, uh, and this is something that, um, that happens once, and is legitimate, uh, uh, you know, throughout the rest of your life into eternity. So we see here in Romans, there's this type of righteousness, righteousness being discussed. So what then is going on here in verse 6? What is this, this travel guide that we uh, see here? Well, it's just that. It is advice to help you journey well through this world as a child of God. And so the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here specifically is referring to an ethical or moral uprightness that has blessings attached to it. You could say it's, it's living according to the way God has designed you to live. Um, so when you put your faith in Christ for salvation, the Bible says you're born again, you're a new creation, and it is living out of that reality. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, that we should live in a manner uh, worthy of the gospel. And as we, as we seek to live in a way that is morally upright and ethically upright and good, there's so many benefits that come with this. Uh, when we pursue uh, this kind of righteousness, not, not that we perfect it, but that we pursue it, uh, there's two things that come to mind that are really uh, beneficial or, or blessings that are attached to this. Number one is it, it keeps us from calamity, from ruining our lives. This is why the Proverbs are so great, because uh, it's full of wisdom to help us live well. There's topics about money and sexuality and business and work and parenting. 
And when we live according to the way God has prescribed, uh, it keeps us safe. It keeps us from unnecessarily falling into stepping on landmines and falling into pit holes. But uh, not only does it keep you from calamity, it keeps you close to God. When you pursue uh, an upright life according to how God has designed it, it's kind of like in marriage. Um, when you're in a relationship with your spouse and you're uh, attentive to your marriage and you're, you're doing all that you can to honor and uphold uh, your marriage and invest in it, uh, your marriage is good. But when, when you sin against each other, when difficulties arise and you're not living that way, then friction happens. You don't lose the relationship, but there's, there's tension there. And so in a similar way, as we pursue righteousness, it, it draws us ever deeper into our relationship with God. And so this first point, it's just incredibly important that we know what type of righteousness is being discussed here. It's very much a travel guide, but there's no point in, in following the travel guide if you don't have uh, the passport to enter the heavenly kingdom. And so first, we see uh, a type of righteousness that's worthy to pursue. And so if we spin the diamond and look at it from a different angle, the next thing we see is a paradox. So recently I've been doing this thing called intermittent fasting, which you could look it up. Basically, it's just you shorten the window of time that you eat, and then you kind of refrain from eating for longer periods of time, and it's supposed to help you lose weight and have better blood pressure. I'm not sure that it actually works, but I, I gave it a shot. But the other day I was you know, not eating breakfast, and I was so hungry. I was just, all I could think about was, the, my refrigerator. And it got so bad, I was so distracted that I, I spent 30 minutes not focusing on what I needed to do because I was just thinking about what I was going to eat uh, once 11 o'clock rolled around. And it was just a reminder to me of how strong an urge and, and a bodily longing that hunger and thirst can be. But there's, there's something weird going on here because Jesus says uh, in other, other places in the scripture that he is the bread of life and he is the living water, and that if we come to him, we will not hunger or thirst spiritually. So how, how on earth could he say, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst? What's going on here? Well, what's happening is uh, this is shedding light on the reality of kind of the moment in history that we're in. Some theologians would call it the already but not yet time, uh, meaning that if we know God, and we are in Christ, our salvation is secure. We're, we're already a part of his family and in his kingdom and experience numerous benefits and blessings in that. But the fulfillment of God's kingdom has not yet come to pass in its entirety. The power of sin has been removed, but the presence of sin remains. The world is still broken. We're very much still journeying heavenward and homeward. But this is... Uh, if you hear nothing else from this sermon, just, just dial in right here, because this is, to me, the most comforting um, aspect of this whole entire beatitude here, is Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Here's, here's what he's saying. Do you feel imperfect? Do you wish that you were holier? Do you wish that you could control your anger better? Parents, do you, do you hate how often you lose your cool with your children? Do you ever think, I just, I wish I had more faith, a hunger and thirst for a deeper walk with God? 
blessed are you? Do you, do you not want God right now, but is there a part of you that says, I wish I did? I don't want God, but I want to want Him. Blessed are you. Uh, a hunger and a thirst means that you're craving something that is lacking at the moment. And it is an absolute blessing to feel hunger and thirst because it means that you really are alive in Christ. Here's the thing. A dead man does not hunger. A dead tree does not send its roots down uh, looking to draw up water. The very presence of a hunger and a thirst is evidence of our faith. Uh, we know that sin robs and plagues us from a full and perfect worship and walk with God. But, but hallelujah, what an incredible perspective shift to think. You know, I, I talk to so many people and, and the, the conversation goes the same. It's, it's always, you know, gosh, I just feel so sinful. I, I feel like I have such little faith. I feel like such a weak and struggling Christian there's, maybe I'm not a Christian. There's no way I can be a Christian and, and feel these things. And, and all of a sudden, doubt creeps in and, um, and, and despair. But Jesus is saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When, when you find yourself saying, Gosh, I don't really want God right now, but I want to. I want to want God. I want to have uh, more faith. I want more of Him. It ought to bring a blessed assurance that your heart genuinely is changed and alive in Christ. Because the unregenerate heart feels no remorse over sin, no hunger and thirst at all after God, and, and no desire to even want to want Him. It's incredible that Jesus would have us hunger and thirst after Him, that He might satisfy us again and again and again, until one day when we're in His presence, uh, the end of times, the book of Revelation tells us that God's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes and He's going to remove the hunger and the thirst that we feel uh, in this life because we're going to be with Him fully. So there's a specific type of righteousness being discussed here. And I think it, there's an incredibly comforting word here about uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But you might ask, lastly, why bother? Uh, if you're looking into Christianity for the first time, you might look at this and say, a moral and ethical righteousness? Why on earth would I bother with that? Or if you're a Christian, um, you might say, well, I'm saved. I, I, I trust in God. What, why, why should I even bother chasing after a, a moral righteousness? Does it really matter? I'd say, yes, it does, because your very happiness is at stake. Look at just the very first word here. It says, blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a very old Welsh translation of this word, blessed. And, and it's translated, white is their world in which they live. Or uh, full of light is their world. Glorious is their world uh, who live like this. Charles Spurgeon once said that you can be very very safely secure on the boat heading heavenward, but you can fall down and injure yourself all along the way unnecessarily. But when we pursue this type of righteousness, not for salvation, but, but for the fact that God has designed us to live this way, it is, um, it is for our, our happiness and our satisfaction. Uh, to do otherwise would be like 
uh, a fish saying, well, I'm made for the water, but I'm just going to do my best to flop around on land and see if I can make it happen. It's, it's not going to work. Um, Psalm eleven seven says, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and the upright shall see his face. When we hunger and thirst after righteousness and pursue it, there's the promise that we will be satisfied in God. Um, but I will warn you just as we come to a close that if you, if you attempt to live this out, this will make you into a radically joyful and countercultural person. Uh, when you've been brought into God's family through Christ and you're hungering after Him and living out the way that His Word prescribes, you will be happy and blessed despite your circumstances. And I want to just tell you briefly as we close about how I've seen this in action uh, over this past week with a dear friend of mine. There's a, I won't tell you her real name, um, we'll call her Jill for just the purposes of the story, but she, she is a, a long-standing friend. And, and Jill's a little bit older. She's probably in her, I don't know, her, her mid-30s. And she's not married. Uh, about this time last year, uh, she fell in love with this doctor and seemed like he was right there about to propose to her. And it was just so exciting because she had walked with God for so long and been um, so content with her singleness. But it was just thrilling to think, oh, wow, she's finally going to get married. And, and right, right before uh, it seemed like the proposal was coming, uh, he ended it. It was heartbreaking. It was crushing. Um, she was devastated. Some time went by, uh, and as she'd just about gotten over that, lo and behold, this man comes back. Uh, he swoops back into the picture. He professes his untying love for her. He, he proposes. Uh, they're engaged. It is, it's like a happily ever after story, and, and no one could be more thrilled. Well, as they approach the wedding day uh, coming up, uh, just a few months before the wedding, he did it again. He ended it um, and totally shattered her heart. And it's been some months since I've heard from her. She, she kind of disappeared, understandably so. Uh, but just this past week, uh, she has resurfaced. And basically, Jill had an SUV, like a car that she, she drove, that has, she's had for some years. And she was getting ready to get a new one. Um, but she, you know, wasn't sure what to do with, with her old car. And so she certainly could have sold it, could have made some money. Honestly, I would have advised her to just sell it and spend that money on a holiday because if anyone deserves it, she does. But this is what she did. She took holiday time and she spent personal savings and she got her old car fixed up and cleaned and renewed and looking brand new. And then she drove it to a friend's house who has a 16-year-old daughter who just had her birthday and just became legally able to drive. And this 16-year-old, this all her friends kind of had cars to get back and forth to their high school, but she wasn't going to be able to afford one. And Jill gets out of the car and puts a bow on the hood and says, Happy birthday, friend. And this girl is just floored. And can you imagine how shocked she was, how, how happy uh, did Jill just make this girl? And, and how much did that reflect uh, what Christ has given to us as undeserving sinners? When we, we didn't ask for salvation, we certainly didn't deserve it. Um, 
How stunning is her witness to the watching world? How radically free does someone have to be to do something like this? How, how weak is the world's grip on her? Because the world says, you know, in order for you to be satisfied, you need a husband and you need a family and you need a secure future. But yet how glorious is her world? And how many people would be loved into the kingdom of God if we lived out of this radical happiness that we have in Christ? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And may we go forward this week hungering, thirsting after righteousness that God might satisfy our souls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the just the reminder that we could never earn our way into heaven. We needed your righteousness. We needed... Um, a passport to come from, from you to gain access into your kingdom. And we rejoice that you've lovingly uh, done that by dying on the cross for us. And now, out of this identity, you call us to, to go live in a way that is upright and honoring to you. And that if we do that, you will satisfy that hunger and thirst. And you will assure us of our, um, of our heavenly destination and you will use our lives to be radical and happy and blessed uh, despite challenging circumstances. And so I pray, Lord, would you help us to just wrestle with this verse, to know how to press this into our own lives and how to, uh, how to live this out that we might hunger more, thirst more, and find more satisfaction uh, in you in the week ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.